0: Now this is recording. RTI
1: International Center Forensic Empire. presents Just
0: science. Just science. Hello and welcome to Just Science, a podcast for forensic science professionals and anyone who is interested in learning more about how real crime laboratories work. I'm Lauren Mangum, the producer of Just Science. This week, we're shaking things up a bit. Normally, I'm the person behind the scenes, but in celebration of National Forensic Science Week, I will also be your host. Just Science will be releasing multiple Just So You Know episodes where you will be hearing directly from the Forensic Technology Center of Excellence's team. Today, we welcome Just Science's host, Dr. John Morgan. As a guest, welcome, John.
1: I'm glad to be here, Lauren. It's a great honor to actually have you be the host this time. It's gonna—it's a lot of fun. It's a
0: little different for us. Normally, I'm in the corner trying to stay quiet, not make any noise, and now I'm going to be making all the noise, I guess.
1: I want everybody to know that I always gauge how the podcast is doing by Lauren's reactions. <laughs> <laughs> so if she's enjoying it, I know we're doing okay.
0: Uh, the podcast would not be a thing for the Forensic Technology Center of Excellence, or RTI in general, if it wasn't for you. So where did this idea come from? What is your... Uh, main goal with the podcast? I
1: really enjoy working in science and in particularly with criminal justice. And one of the things I enjoy the most is interacting with folks when I'm out there going to conferences and meetings. And it occurred to me because of you know just the scale of the community that a lot of folks don't get to go to those conferences. And even if they do, they may not be able to know who are the leaders in the field and where are the new ideas coming from. And it seems like just being able to sit down and have a cup of coffee with somebody who's an innovative person and an out-of-the-box thinker that's trying to move friends science forward is like a real privilege I really enjoy it and I think that's what we try to do in just science if we find a mechanism where folks can kind of just have a morning cup of coffee with people who are innovative in forensic science and learn something new about what's going on maybe in their own discipline but maybe in another discipline because uh, I think it's important to have a broad view on these things and not just like hey I'm a fingerprint person so I, you know I don't care about toxicology well you know I think it's important because you can learn lessons from your colleagues and and the other thing about podcasts is, I enjoy podcasts. I listen to them all the time. We're based here in Raleigh, North Carolina, but I grew up and spent most of my life up in Maryland. And so I started listening to podcasts so I could listen to sports talk radio from Maryland, from okay. DC. Okay. Yeah, and so podcast was a way to actually like still feel like I was a little bit at home, right? And I've gotten into a broader range of them, and and I feel like it's a great mechanism where you can sort of take your time and we do a lot of the webinars but those are also very technical and so the podcasts are able to get to a broader reach of people and and also take our time thinking about the perspective and bringing the perspective to bear so it's been a wonderful wonderful experience and uh, honestly couldn't have been done without you lauren as (laughs) as producing it and taking so much time to to get them right
0: if you could choose any season any topic (laughs) what would that be
1: Sure. Well, you know, I've I've really enjoyed our case studies uh, and it's been difficult because a lot of the best cases are the ones that are the most recent. And of course, those are the ones that are most likely to be pending in court. And I like the ones especially. We've done a couple where the case studies really demonstrate the value of particular methods in forensic science and ways of approaching the evidence. And, uh, you know, I don't know whether we've released the one yet where blood spatter really determined what happened.
0: We will probably be releasing that one sometime in the winter but as of right now it has not released
1: in the end it really turned out I mean it was a wonderful story and the guest did a wonderful job describing it but it really demonstrated how properly done blood spatter analysis can really turn a case in a very good way and doing it well matters so those are the ones that I would love to do more of So, so anybody who's listening who's got a cool case make sure we know (laughs)
0: Yeah, right. And you can go to forensiccoe.org and visit the Just Science page. And we actually have a form where you can talk directly to us and let us know if you have any ideas or if you want to be on the podcast for some case studies. What is your uh, job title at RTI International?
1: So at RTI, I'm the senior director of the Center for Forensic Science. CFS actually runs a variety of programs, including the Forensic Technology Center of Excellence, but a lot of other things like the Sexual Assault Kit Initiative. We have something called the National Laboratory Certification Program, which oversees the workplace drug testing laboratories, as well as a bunch of uh, commercial things and proficiency testing and training in forensic science.
0: Right, and we dabble in all kinds of
1: things. Well, I think that we uh, do an awful lot of capacity building for crime laboratories and people who work with crime laboratories. I mean, one of the fun things we're getting into now is virtual reality building virtual reality crime scenes, but also doing some stuff uh, that would be relevant to the military, to first responders. uh,
0: Right. And Danya Slack, who is also on the FTCOE team, and she'll be on the uh, podcast later this week. So stay tuned for hers because she talks a little bit about her VR ventures. She's very excited about it. Yeah. Yeah, Very (laughs) excited. Very excited. So you are the project director for the FTCOE. Can you describe to listeners exactly what that means?
1: So we have a really great team that runs the FTCOE. So As uh, folks who listen regularly know, FTCOE is about transitioning new technologies and ideas into crime laboratory practice, trying to get over what we call the kind of the valley of death for new technologies. And it's really hard in forensic science because if you put something new into a crime laboratory in practice... The problem is, is that it's a risk. You know, if you try something new, you not only might make things more inefficient, but you also might not have a validated technique and, and something that is reliable enough to be used in forensics. And so it's a it's a major job, and I'm very very proud to be able to direct the team that really puts information out there that people can rely on. You know, we have Jerry Repera Miller our chief scientist, uh, Danya who is uh, somebody who really makes sure all the cogs are running behind the scenes, but also oversees a lot of our contracts with partners that work on technical projects. We uh, have Erica Fornaro, who is doing an awful lot of work on things like this, like sharing knowledge with through podcasts and webinars, and uh, Nicole Jones, who helps us put together conferences and meetings and and uh, ways that we convene people to uh, learn more and talk more and develop ideas and solutions for forensic science.
0: And that's the nice thing about this week that we're going to be doing, is we're going to try to highlight those people and make them a little more personable to the listeners. So research is a big thing for NIJ, and you have a lot of history with NIJ. Do you mind cueing listeners in on what kind of background and how all that aligns?
1: Sure. Well, I spent a fair amount of years, basically the entirety of the 2000s, at NIJ. I was the deputy director for science and technology at the time. And and at the time, actually, forensic science was in with the rest of the science and technology work at NIJ. So NIJ doesn't just work with forensic science laboratories. It also works with police and courts and corrections and the rest of the criminal justice community in building new technologies. And so that was all under the Office of Science and Technology. And that was what I had the very great privilege and honor of being able to manage manage. And I think it gave me an interesting perspective because the challenges there are very different from what you see in other kinds of technology areas. There was a feeling at the time that we were just going to mimic what DOD did, the Defense Department did, because the military does so much research work. But it's different because DOD has the privilege of being able to own everything that they (laughs) build, right? Uh, Whereas with NIJ, not only are they much tinier, but they also have tens of thousands of police, courts, corrections crime laboratories, and other organizations that they serve, each one of which makes their own decision about it. And so one of the things that I try to really do here when we're running the Forensic Technology Center of Excellence is understand that. We're trying to build up knowledge and evidence so that people can make informed decisions out there. We're taking this really relevant research work that NIJ has developed And we're we're not just trying to explain it, we're trying to understand what really would be impactful so that people can make a good decision based on what's going on in their agency and what, what their problems and challenges are. And that really is a core lesson from NIJ, working with state and local agencies. It's a very different beast. And each one has its own context in which to work. And I'm very, very proud of NIJ. I'm very proud of what we do here in FTCOE because we reflect that and we, we think about it from the perspective of the practitioner out there on the world and how we can get them the information they need so they can do the best job they can in their work.
0: The FTCOE, it's got a lot going on. Yes. So what are some of the major deliverables and different things that people can go to the website and get from the FTCOE?
1: Well, we are, as part of National Forensic Science Week, are rolling out a new version of our webpage that makes it a lot easier. And I appreciate, people should know uh, who are listening, that Lauren played a very big role in the redesign and making sure that it's a little bit more accessible to get to some of the key products. And, And it really is touching every discipline in forensic science. So, uh, you know, obviously everyone thinks of DNA, you know, when they're out in the public and we do a lot in DNA. There's a lot of stuff that people can access with respect to rapid DNA. It's a very important element, but also things like next generation sequencing. There's a fair amount of material that we've put out there on that, as well as taking a step back into looking at biological fluids, both in terms of collection and screening of biological fluids, which is very important. Uh, We're doing a major new initiative now for the coming year in sexual assault. The center has done a lot in that area already, both with respect to DNA and non-DNA techniques. And, and here over the next month or two, we're going to be releasing a, a bunch of reports on non-DNA methods, mostly oriented though towards uh, investigators. Most of our material is oriented towards bench scientists who actually have problems day to day. But we also try to do some things that are are broader than that for law enforcement, investigators, prosecutors, or officers of the court so that they can understand kind of what forensic scientists are doing a little bit better. One of the things I'm very excited about that I would like to highlight a webinar that we will have just done when this podcast is released, which is on vicarious trauma. The idea there's a lot of stress in crime laboratories, uh, both with respect to the pace of the work, but also with respect to the difficulties associated with you dealing with violent crime and people who've been victimized, and that's pretty heavy. And it can be difficult, especially if you're out there as a crime scene investigator, for example. And we just did a webinar jointly with the Office of Victims of Crime, who's done a lot of work in this area on uh, vicarious trauma And uh, that's going to be archived on the website. I hope people who weren't able to listen to it live are are able to take advantage of that resource as well as the other things that we're doing through uh, ForensicCOE.org.
0: Right. So Heidi Eldridge is obviously uh, a big part of that, and she goes more in-depth into vicarious trauma and all these different human factor type topics in her podcast, which we'll be releasing later in the week. So stay tuned, listeners, for some more information on that. Let's get into more of the fun questions, okay? okay. Let's get to know John. What is the uh, most interesting thing you have ever seen or done in research?
1: I uh, am kind of a refugee from the general scientific community. I didn't start off in forensic science or in policing stuff. I got in- into that when I started at NIJ in 2002. But before that, I uh, was more of a materials person. I did some spacecraft work. I worked on cruise missiles, and I did all sorts of unusual things with optoelectronic materials. But my f- most fun— okay was chembio defense so for several years we did work on uh, defense against chemical and biological warfare agents and their detection in buildings And I built a a mass spectrometer or two in those days and uh, also climbed in a few ventilation shafts and and actually set up. Now, I don't want to hear anybody complaining about how hard it is to set up a mass spec in their laboratory (laughs) because I set up a mass spec in a ventilation shaft, the whole thing, including the helium cylinders uh, for the carrier gas. It was a GC mass spec and the whole nine yards and had the bloody thing run week after week monitoring the ventilation system. No
0: complaints then.
1: Yeah, exactly. So that was incredible fun. That's the most fun I've ever had in research is that program. That's
0: actually really interesting because your background spans quite a bit of topics and Mm -hmm. areas. But you've always been in science and research has always been a big part.
1: I was in politics, but even when I was in politics, they called me the rocket scientist of the legislature, (laughs) which I was never a rocket scientist. That's one thing I've never done.
0: Tell us uh, one interesting personal fact about yourself.
1: The one thing is, and it's an RTI. I'm going to tell an RTI. Thing And that is that one thing that's odd about RTI is that us technology folks are actually in the minority here. There's actually very few lab people here, and it's mostly social science people, people who do public health as well and medical stuff. So I wanted to make sure that we really highlighted it. And so I run a softball team called the Lab Rats. We haven't had a good first season. We were one and nine, but we're heading into the playoffs now. Okay. And actually last year's champion, our one win is against last year's champions. Yes. So, And that was at the end of the season. We started off a little bit more Charlie Brown softball, and we've gotten better and better week after week. It's been a process. It's been a process, that's right. So uh, I have really enjoyed playing softball with the Lab Rats and kind of bringing together not only the people who work in forensic science, but other kinds of laboratory work and technology work here at RTI. It's been a great experience, and I'm looking forward to doing very well in the playoffs with the Lab Rats.
0: We'll have to circle back around and see how it actually panned out for you.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe we'll do a report on a future pod. Podcast. Right, there yeah.
0: you go. <laughs> world
1: Series, rah, whatever. What you really want to know is how the Lab Rats did. Right, the, exactly. That's
0: league. all yeah. we hear yeah. about. So the final fun question is, if you could have any job in the world, Mm-hmm. You don't have to have the qualifications for it at this moment. What would you be doing?
1: Sure, I've never let qualifications stand in my way before. <laughs> we were talking about this beforehand. I have a couple of different answers. That is, I always wanted to be a writer, and I still do some writing on the side, you know, novels and screenplays and that kind of thing. When I was in college, I you know, worked at the cable TV station and all that kind of stuff. I don't have any actual talent in terms right. of like acting or singing or dancing, certainly not, but I uh, do enjoy writing an awful lot. But I guess the other thing and that and been spreading this around and that is I think there should be a museum of forensic science. There really isn't one and I think that we could do something really really exciting to highlight forensic science to the world. Right. And also kind of promote science in general and how it can be beneficial to society. What I love about forensic science in terms of how it would work in that regard is I'm so impressed by the people who they don't make a whole lot of money. It isn't. There's nobody driving around the Mercedes like uh, you see in the CSI shows, right? Right. Yeah. But they dedicate their lives to the application of science to get objective truth in some of the most you know ugly parts of what right. happens in our society, and that's kind of cool. Yeah. You know. And there's a lot of very instructive things about that that I think people would really enjoy. So uh, that's my other ambition. I mean, uh, I think it
0: would be a very successful museum. You got the marriage of two worlds. You got some pop culture references that you can always bring into mm-hmm. forensic science, which would get the general public excited about it. But then you also have the science part of it. So I mean, I think it would be a great museum. Thank you, John, for being on Just Science with us today. Thank you. Opinions or points of views expressed in this podcast represent a consensus of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of its funding.